it's mid-June. Things are getting hot. Let's continue stoking the fire here on Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Be sure to protect your watercraft from harmful rocks and debris with the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. MegaWare Keelguard, a premier Bass Edge partner since 2006. Bass Edge Nation, today we are going to revisit preparation in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Aaron. It's time to get off the bank and use some of this high-tech equipment we've got hanging off these consoles. Bass Edge Radio begins now. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keelguard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keelguard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerfold is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerfold deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerfold won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerfold, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerfold.com. Find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Aaron, great to be back for another episode of Bass Edge. And of course, it's the time of year you get a little bit of free time to start digging around, see how the first six months of the year has been. And man, I noticed we've got a whole lot of great comments on iTunes recently. They have lit us up not only on the comments on iTunes, but also via Facebook, email. And I think it's just important, Kurt. I say this with the utmost sincerity. We have an unbelievable group of listeners that have been with us a very, very long time. Yeah, we have. You know, we really appreciate all the feedback from everybody and, and want to continue to push that feedback. You know, you guys pushing the feedback to us helps us push the envelope to return even a better program for you. So uh, keep up all those ideas for new shows, new features, all kinds of great things. And we'll keep delivering it right here at Bass Edge Radio. Talking about delivering, Aaron, what about the InMotionWD.com? How's everything working out there with the Lucas Oil Pro? products in motion wd.com pete has had his hands full and i know his staff there seems like man you can definitely tell that winter broke because in my conversation with him he is shipping oil and cleaning products and basically anything that lucas manufactures is available right there available to be shipped to your door. So my elbow has been kind of tired lately. I've been using my boat a little more than regular Kurt, so I've been having to do a little polish, wiping that scum off the water line in the back of the motor. But hey, tough life, but somebody's got to do it. Hey, there's no doubt. You know, it's amazing when you go onto that website and look at all the different types of products that they do provide and have available for consumers from top to bottom, one end to the next, just stuff everywhere. I got to say real quick, we're in the end of June. It's my time for my kids camp down at Lake Amistad. Really excited about having that kickoff off here in the next couple days so be looking for that kind of stuff and information on our facebook and twitter we'll post some great information on what's happening down at the uh, kids camp kurt doves pro bass camp at lake amos 
Amistad. So that should be fun. Always fun when you can get the instructional element with young minds and see how they kind of wrap their hands around that and kind of take that to a new level. Because after all, Kurt, that is our next generation and those that we are going to pass the torch on to. And speaking of passing the torch, it's time that we've got to pass the torch on to the next segment, which obviously is the very popular Marine Tech Minute brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Let's go see what Mark has to tell us today. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Mark Nagus, Chief Chemist for Lucas Oil, is in the house again for this week's Tech Minute, presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Lyle from Tyler, Texas writes, I usually wipe down or wash my boat after every time I fish in order to cut down on transferring evasive species into other lakes. I noticed you, being Lucas Oil, has a slick mist speed wax that can be used as a detailer. Is this safe to use on boats without transferring any harsh chemicals into the water? Yes, actually. Actually, the formulation is 98% water, and the other 2% are waxes and things like that, which are environmentally safe. The product's designed to be used in standard paint surfaces, as well as fiberglass paint surfaces and things such as that. Clear coats. It does an excellent job at removing water spots and bringing the shine back to your boat. But the main thing is that it is 98% water, so it does not add any adverse chemicals into the water itself. Well, that's good to hear because we all know as bass fishermen not only like to take care of our toys, but we also like to look good while we're doing it. Lyle, we appreciate the question, but more importantly, your focus on protecting our natural resources. I will say, however, you scared me a little when you mentioned the word invasive species. Fortunately, Mark knows what that means. Bass Edge Radio, back in a moment. Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride extreme rough water just doesn't exist we're not just building a boat we're building a legend legend boats I am Pro Angler Bill Lowen, and you are locked in to Bass Edge Radio. And welcome to the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. We're chatting with an FLW Tour Pro that is a preparation guru. As we enter what some will consider the season of preparation, summertime bassin'. We welcome to the show Clark Ream. Thanks, Clark, for joining us here on Bass Edge Radio. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. It's good to have you back, Clark, and uh, cannot wait because you are, like Kurt said in the introduction, the absolute preparation guru. But before we kind of dive off into that, what's up? You're kind of like the Houston Astros heading from the <laughs> National League 
League Central back over to the American League, and I uh, understand you kind of found yourself on the other side of the coin this year. I don't know if being compared to the Astros is always a good thing. <laughs> well, okay, let me rephrase that using that as uh, meaning heading from BASS Tour to the FLW Tour, but uh, certainly will not compare their record-win-loss ratio. Absolutely. You know, there's some big differences in, in the two of these, and a lot of them has to do with the mental edge of dealing with a lot of it. You know, I ended up running into a few family issues, ended up uh, getting my son this past summer when I dropped out of the elite, you know, and that's really why a lot of guys make the change from one tour to the other. It's either going to be financial reason most of the time or a family issue. And biggest difference that I see in FLW and Bass for my aspect is the amount of time I'm going to spend at home with my son and uh, making sure I put stability into his life. And that's the number one reason why I left to come over to FLW. And as far as fishing differences, you know, a lot of people ask us that question. I was talking to Jason Quinn recently and Ish Monroe. You know, Quinn used to fish the elites and Monroe fishes both tours and we're both having terrible years. The only thing we can figure out is it doesn't matter what tour you fish if you're not catching. <laughs> you know, that's the problem we're having. We're just not being able to put fish in the boat. And a lot of times we can't explain why. You know, you have some awesome practices and have stuff figured out and dialed in. And then all of a sudden, tournament day comes around and you don't catch big ones. Hats off to you right. for setting your priorities and going back to something else that you've said, you know, if you're not catching them, don't you think there's slumps just regardless of whether you're fishing, you're sitting in an office, or you're, you know, on the line putting together widgets? There is, but it's more about taking the opportunities that you get as events and capitalizing on them or just having everything click just a little bit. I don't really believe in the slumps too much except for the mental side of it. You, know, you roll into an event and taking that approach of I've got to get a check, you know, to pay the bills or to keep the wheels turning on this engine of pro bass fishing. But it's more whatever you do with that given day or that event. And if you don't catch them, it really doesn't matter. You know, if the schedule doesn't set up the way you like to fish that time of year, for example, Sam Rayburn. I live at Sam Rayburn. I guide on the lake. You know, I teach a lot of classes on how to find offshore structure on the lake that people are able to apply anywhere they go. And we rolled in that event. And it was the one month of the year that I have no advantage whatsoever. The only advantage I had was knowing how to get around. And I caught the fire of the fish. In fact, on day one, I was looking at the takeoff. And I was boat like 78. And I had two keepers in the boat before they called the last takeoff number. <laughs> I, caught, I caught close to 100 keepers on day two of that tournament, but if you can't catch one over two pounds, it really doesn't matter. You know, the randomness of quality bites sometimes will elude you, and it will kill you in these tournaments. You know, that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Well, Sterling, you don't need any excuses, Clark. You know, you're a great angler. I think, too, when we go into some different procedures, some different templates in life, you know, talking about some things that you did with your family that were, again, hats off to you there. I mean, that's just such a great thing. I met your son. He's a great kid. And, you know, when you change things up a little bit, it's a different template, and you really got to figure out what works for you, and sometimes that can be part of the deal. I agree. I'm not too super into the slumps or the things that aren't working really good for people. It's just kind of changing things up, understanding, getting used to a new template, and then going out there and making it happen. But the thing that you really said that makes sense is you got to catch them. Yeah, that's the bottom line. You catch five, you bring five, you bring five big ones, and uh, that takes care of everything. Nobody sees the asterisks in the weigh-in sheet. They see the black and white, that this is what happened right here. This is what you brought to the scale. They don't see that you broke down at this event or this broke or you lost these fish or some locals on your spot or another angler hole jumped you. They don't see the behind-the-scenes stuff on what transpired to get you to that low finish, that mid-range finish. You know, and out here, you know, losing one key fish makes a difference in making ten grand or not. You know, in my case, I fished a railback this year and had two dead fish that cost me a win. People don't see that on the sheet. 
they just see on the sheet that you lost by seven ounces. You're exactly right. There's so many other variables. You know, people look at it as just fishing, and it is just fishing, but there's so much more. You know, I, I got sick in an event earlier this year, missed a practice day. <laughs> Nobody knows about those things, you know, unless maybe you follow somebody on Facebook or, or something than that and really get the inside scoop. But there's a lot of intangibles that people miss out there. And, and congratulations on that great finish earlier this year in the Revac at Toledo Bend, finishing second place. Really, like you said, kind of had the win nearly wrapped up right there and uh just out of a small unfortunate circumstance it cost you about twenty five thousand bucks but uh certainly still a great event you know you alluded a little bit earlier to your angling education business let's talk about that real quick tell us exactly what it is so our listeners can understand how it works well i've known for two things on tour and it's not catching fish number one i'm known for being a talker you know, you ask me on tour what Clark does, and he's, he's going to talk to ear off. The other thing, I'm kind of known as being a computer geek. And I've kind of parlayed all that stuff into a viable product that I'm able to apply to events to help me find and catch fish on foreign bodies of water or take places that I know well, like Sam Rayburn or Toledo Bend, and really start breaking them down even further to get a fresh set of eyes on those bodies of water so it doesn't get stale. And I put together a course that I'm able to tailor to meet people's needs if they want different aspects or other things changed on it. But basically, I've got this course that I put together called the Elite Angler Academy. And I teach people how to use the most set of technology and resources that are available to find and catch fish. The course typically has six different parts. And most of the day, we're not even on the water. You know, I do this around Sam Rayburn. If it's too windy, I'm able to go to some smaller lakes. But the focus is not on catching fish. And if somebody wants to go on a trip with me, I have to reiterate that to them constantly, that, hey, if you want to catch fish, I need to know that so we can go out and catch fish. If you want to go find fish and learn how to apply this on lakes you're going to go to on your own, that's a whole different ballgame. And the different things that I talk about, for one, people don't use their GPS efficiently. They've got all these high-end electronics, and they can essentially get by with a fishing rod that they can stick in the water to check for depth, or you know, they're using their electronics to make a waypoint and just see it in a generalized area. But by utilizing your GPS, you're able to pull up on stuff and be able to hit it on the first cast. Yeah, how many times do you have a brush pile out there and you say, you know what, I know there's a brush pile here, and you spend five, ten minutes fan casting around till you hit it. Or you got to throw out that marker buoy. And you know what a marker buoy does? It invites people to come in and GPS you or the guy in the back of the boat. It's inevitable that he's going to snag it and irritate you on the front of the boat. And so if you can actually go out there and triangulate and use your GPS to be able to hit things without having to throw out a buoy or having to side scan it and be able to pull up, your efficiency level goes up. Other things I teach people is how to read a map. We're not utilizing paper maps the way we should. And the key is not to look at the actual map. It's all about the supplemental information that's out there. You know, there's all sorts of legends and keys out there that give you lists of pond dams and underwater bridges and roadbeds, all this other extra information that you don't really see on the map part of it. It's on other areas of the map, like the framework and the exterior. It's all about using whatever resources are available out there. Google Earth. People look at it and say, hey, there's my house, or hey, there's the Eiffel Tower. It's not really made for fishermen and hunters. You know, it's for city people sitting around their offices. But there's a lot of things on there, different buttons you're able to press that are going to benefit anglers on how to find information. And it's really all about building up your catalog of waypoints and information to be able to pull up to a lake and have the most information available at your fingertips. 
Clark, this rolls right into lake preparation, and so many of us really need to understand ways to attack summertime fishing. Taking what you just said there, what are the first steps that you're going to apply when breaking down a lake that you have little experience on, whether you're fishing a tournament or recreational fishing? I know in most of you guys' minds, there is no separation between the two because you can't shut that competitive switch off, but walk us through that process. Well, nobody wants to go to a lake and have a hard time catching fish, whether you go on a vacation with your family or there for a tournament. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather as much information as I can before I go there. You know, and there's all sorts of sources for information that people overlook. Kurt, you're a source. Aaron, you're a source. How many times have we talked to a man at a boat ramp that tells you information? Yeah, I was working a seminar at Bass Pro Shops once in Shreveport, and a random guy approached me. I was just talking about fishing at the Red River. You know, I fish the Red River a lot. I think I know it as well as anybody. It's probably my best tournament lake that I fish. And he started talking about this brush pile he has. And half a year later, I started remembering that deal, and I went out on the water, and I found that brush pile and caught a five-pounder in practice on it. I said, you know what, I'm going to start here in the tournament. And I finished eighth in that Bassmaster Central Open. In fact, I think I saw you fishing near there one night, Aaron, with your uh, orange wrap boat. During yeah. The- <laughs> I think that was the first time I actually met you, Eric. That is, that is right. But, you know, over in Castellana, actually. You've got to take what information is out there. People talk about doc talk, you know, disregarding doc talk. But, you know, you need to know how to filter that doc talk to get the most information out of it. You know, you don't want to live and die by it, but if you can pick up information from different sources here and there, you never know what that club-level guy is going to tell you about that one ditch he always, every time, guaranteed catches them off of. Everybody's got those spots. You know, and so I want to collect as much of that information as I can. I'm going to then go to looking for as many paper maps as I can find. Because I'm going to pick up whatever information is there. You know, I'm not looking at the contours on a paper map because ultimately your Navionics chips, your Lake Master chips, all these things, they're going to have better contours out there than what you're going to find on any paper map. And you're going to be able to tell exactly where you're located at on there. But it's, that paper map is usually going to tell you about foundations or things like bridges, these high percentage places that you can go find fish. And people take the approach when they go to look for fish on a lake, their side imaging or whatever else, is they're going to just start scanning back and forth, back and forth across the pocket or creek. Well, they're wasting a lot of time. because You can use that supplemental information to get a head start on looking for exactly certain things, those Easter eggs, that hidden treasure, X marks the spot type of stuff, where if you know there's something you're looking for there, you're going to look more efficiently there because you know you're looking for something. You're not going to get tired blindly moving back and forth. Because almost everything that you're going to look for on the water with your side imaging is going to show up on some source or another. It might be a pre-impoundment map from before the lake was built. You know, that stuff is out there. You know, you just have to look for it. You know, it's going to be on that paper map. So if you can get that head start on looking for something and find all 300, 400 spots that you're able to find on this other information, well, that's a big head start. Because if you were to go to a lake and call your buddy and say, Hey, uh, hook me up with some, some waypoints and some brush piles. You know, if I said to you, Kurt, hey, you're going to Falcon Lake, you want every pond dam, every rock pile, every house foundation out there, these are the ones I catch them on, you're not going to turn down the, that waypoint information right there. Right. You know, and all that can be found on current lake maps. We're going to give you the actual GPS coordinate of that stuff. So before you even go to these lakes, if you enter all that stuff in in your GPS, it gives you a head start right there of all this sweet stuff that if you're out there blindly idling looking, you're going to have three or 400 spots where you can get to the lake of high percentage places sure. you can pull up at any time and catch fish.
Let's talk real quick about time scale on this. Obviously, the educational process on a Falcon Lake or a Rayburn or Toledo or Amistad, Table Rock, wherever you go, it's never ending. You know, even if we fish the lake every weekend for five years, you're always going to learn things because things move and and you just can't see everything. You're always going to be finding new stuff, talking to new people, looking at new maps, finding new things about Google Earth. The lake's going to fluctuate. You know, there's going to be a lot of changes that's going to give you more education about the particular impoundment that you might be fishing. But in a particular scenario, let's say we're in the middle of June, you got a tournament the first part of July at Lake X. How much time is Clark Ream going to spend off the water prepping for that particular event? It's going to depend on what information is available. If I can find imagery where the water is low, you know, we've had big drought situations in the southeast, especially in 2011. There's a lot of information we had off satellite imagery that's out there with low water, and you're able to pick up a lot of information right there. I might sit on Google Earth for 50, 60 hours before a tournament. Back in April, I had an event at Beaver Lake, and I drew a local stick as my co-owner on day two, and he was asking me, how did you find it? How are you able to pull up and hit this thing out here in the middle of nowhere? And it's like, well, I found the satellite image with the water low, and I actually sit there and just scour the satellite imagery, just slowly moving along and looking for different transitions. It might be rock changes. It might be, you know, break lines, little tiny little set of rocks that I might be able to pull up to and make one cast, hit it, and catch one good fish, and then roll on. I'm probably going to spend 50 to 60 hours on Google Earth getting ready for an event. And it might be as simple as finding where a roadbed cuts through the trees and making a waypoint where I see it come down to the water. A lot of times you can't look at the bank when you're out there and say a roadbed comes down here. It's overgrown or whatever else. Or the road is eroded from the actual shoreline where the trees are and stuff out 10, 15 feet because of low water situations and erosion and stuff. Whereas a little bit deeper out there, you can actually pick that up your site imaging then to start looking. But you don't have to look at the trees up on the bank on the satellite imagery to see exactly where that road comes in at. With that said, how do you manage all of that data? Okay, you spend 50 to 60 hours on Google Earth, which I think is fantastic, and you've went through the maps and you've set these waypoints. How do you catalog this, not only for the tournament or the day on the water that's up and coming, but obviously this is going to be data that you're going to reference in the future. Are you like the Library of Congress where you have just volumes of books? I actually do. (laughs) Uh, But a lot of it's digital. Now. I'm going through, I'm using Humminbird PC to organize all this stuff. I'm using Contour Leap. I'm using Navionic Snap Planner 2. I'm using a lot of these programs to separate them out by lakes. But the sweet goes when you find all this stuff, it's not going anywhere. Those rock piles aren't moving. So once you do all the initial work, it'll be there until you're done fishing, basically, through the years. So it helps to just organize it all. And I use my GPS bin as a log. Everybody talks about writing a fishing journal. You end up doing it for two or three trips, and you forget to do it. Are you really going to go through and access that information at any time? You're going to go back there and read it. Whereas I use my GPS now to change icons, and I've got a naming system that keeps it all organized so you're able to pull up and know what you're looking at every single time instead of having the waypoint number 264 with the default blue button right there. You know, so you need to be able to organize all that stuff. Yeah, that's really important. I'll tell you what, it's time to take a short break. But when we return, we're going to continue tapping into Clark's basket of goodies, more specifically a little bit of electronics talk. Bass Edge Radio will be right back. The next time you need auto parts and accessories, trust O'Reilly Auto Parts. Our professional parts people know what it takes to get the job done right. Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for decades. It's all part of our service commitment to you and what sets us apart. Come see for yourself at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly 
Turns in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products, from real oils to two cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. All righty, Clark, let's get back into a few more tidbits of preparation. You know, we kind of started to skirt electronics there before we ended that last segment. Just how much time are you actually spending behind your boat steering wheel? And if there's a couple of tips that you can give our listeners about electronics, what do they need to do? Just a couple fundamentals to make it work for them effectively. Well, right now, I'm actually scouting right now at a lake. I'm sitting on my buddy's porch talking to y'all, getting ready to go out on the water to go side scan. I've come up to a couple lakes. Uh, I've got future events at, and I'm spending the next five days doing nothing but idling around. You know, I don't have a fishing rod in the boat. For every 10 casts I make out there when I'm out just scouting, that's 100 more yards of water that I can look at to potentially catch fish on when I come back. Because right now, the fish are actually starting to set up out here on some of this offshore structure, and they're going to be moving out there really good as the summer progresses. And so it's only going to benefit me by coming up here and looking around like I'm doing. So it sounds like you're spending just as much time as you are behind the computer as you are behind the wheel once you get out there to really locate and pinpoint some of these areas. You're a Humminbird user, is that correct? I use Humminbird, but I teach both units when people come to my class. So, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm using Humminbird or Lowrance. We run gotcha. them all in default settings. Right. You know, okay. The best settings that I have found on everything are default settings. So explain to that a little bit to the listeners. What are two or three things that you see in teaching your elite angler class that people can pick up really quickly by listening to the podcast here that they need to make sure they're doing to get the best out of their electronics? I'm going to break down how I actually find stuff using the side imaging right now. There's a few tips I can give somebody whenever they're out there scanning. Some of them they might realize, some of them they might not. You know, first off, you want to keep the boat as perfectly straight as you can. You need to find days that the wind isn't blowing because it's going to skew your image. Because you're going to make long idles because anytime you turn that boat just a little bit, the back end of that boat moves, it's going to skew your image. And it gets real obvious whenever you're following a roadbed and all of a sudden you see a bend in that road. And a lot of times what's going to happen is that tail end of your boat is going to shift just a little bit. And we all know a bend in the road is going to be one of those little sweet spots you're looking for. That rock piles, ditches, drains, culverts, blowouts, things like that. So if you move that boat too much and don't keep it straight, you're not going to be able to see what you need to see efficiently. The other thing is you want to either parallel or go perfectly perpendicular with something whenever you scan it. Every angle that you hit an object in the water with that side imaging is going to look differently. And it might be you have to idle something several times before you lay out waypoints to get the best image you can. But by paralleling something, it's going to lay out as flat as possible so you can get the best reading to get the best image. And if you go perpendicular, it's usually going to lay out perfectly straight as well. The last thing I can tell you about whenever you're side scanning is the only thing I'm going to tweak on these units more than anything is the range. You know, how far am I shooting that beam to the side? And that's going to be the button that I'm going to press more than anything on my depth finder. Because whenever I do exploratory and I'm looking for those little sweet spots, everybody sees that big obvious drop, that rock. And that's what I'm looking for, because that's going to be where you're going to find more of these schools of fish instead of that tiny little subtle whatever. And if you stick your unit on, like, say, 120 feet to the side, you're going to get this broad spectrum running whenever you're scanning. 
But then once you find something, you're able to then zoom it back in and it's going to make it grow bigger on the screen and then you can go back through and lay out your waypoint. So those are the three ways I'm going to adjust that, that side imaging whenever I'm out there. But as far as tweaking the contrast and sharpness, I don't touch those. It's all on default because whenever you tweak it around to show fish better or see bottom composition better, you're going to give up on other aspects of it. And then you're going to have to go back through on the next 100 yards, the water composition might be different. The salinity of the water or the pH might be different. It's going to show more trash in the water. And then you got to constantly go through and tweak the button around to show different images. And so by the default, settings actually end up being the best setting you can actually run those units on for just general usage. Well, that's great advice right there. And now, once that you have found that, we've dialed in, we've zoomed in, we've found the blowouts, the ditches, the ridges, what are some of your favorite summertime tactics that you'd like to employ once you have found this offshore structure? You know, if you go to Kentucky Lake or Gunnersville or, or Lake Fork, these lakes that are known for offshore structure, I'm going to have five rods on the deck of the boat. And, you know, you'll vary these. You know, it might be I've got two of the same, but there's five key baits it seems like they're going to trigger big bites from offshore fish in the summertime that apply to most of the United States. You know, that big worm is hard to beat. And almost every lake you go to, some sort of variation of red bug or plum or blue fleck is going to be the deal. I personally like the kicker fish, high tail worm. You know, it's an 11-inch worm. It's got air chambers in it. It stands up. You know, a lot of times those fish will eat that bait whenever it's falling. Do suspended fish, they'll eat on the drop, they'll eat on the bottom, dragging, hopping, stroking. You can do all sorts of stuff with it. Another bait that everybody offshore fishes with is a football head jig. Three-quarter ounce is hard to beat for just about every situation you're going to apply it to. I will go to a lighter jig if there's heavier cover or there's less current because that lighter jig is going to go through brush piles a lot better than that heavy one or it'll go through grass a lot easier. Your deep diving crankbait, day in and day out, you see it time and again. Guys like Kevin Mandam are winning and dominating the offshore events with deep diving plugs. It just seems to trigger the biggest fish in schools. That's why you're going to see most of these tournament guys with your 6XDs, your 10XDs, your DD22s. They just get big bites offshore. And over the past couple of years, the two other baits that most offshore anglers have added to their arsenal, myself included, is the big flutter spoon, you know, those Lake Fork flutter spoons, they just seem to catch the bigger fish in the school as well, and swim baits. If you're not throwing swim baits now, then you're missing the boat. Whether it be giant ones, little tiny three-inch ones, they just catch fish across the board. And there's a lot of nuances to swim bait fishing that we're not going to get into today, but there's just so many ways to fish them, to rig them weedless, to rig them open hook, line through, jig head. There's just so many variables to it, but swim baits catch giant fish, especially in offshore schools. Great tips there, Clark. Definitely ways that land a lot of fish for our Bass Edge listeners. And, and I think you're right. Overlooked is the deep swim bait bite. A lot of people are not getting on that board, and it has been there for a long time. And uh, hopefully we get to see you whacking them on some big fish later on this summer with that tactic. Clark, i got to ask you real quick. Earlier in the show, we talked a little bit about the young angler in your family. When we were chatting about doing the show, we were talking a little bit about some bluegill fishing. Let's break it down. you got your Rayburn and your Toledas and all over the country, you know, taking a kid out in bluegill fishing. What's the tactic, man? Tell me how to go out there and catch some bluegills for my kids. First off, you know, you don't want to start your kids off bass fishing. We've all been out there, and you get those days, you get two or three bites. That's not going to keep kids interested. Another thing is you don't want to burn them out. Take them because you have to. You can't find a babysitter that day, so you got to drag your kids out with you. Because then it's all about you most of the time, with you out there having a good time catching fish, and your kids are just there on the boat. You know, I see that time and again from different people taking their kids fishing. The other thing is don't go for too long a time period in the day. Two hours, three hours. I wouldn't take a kid much longer than that. 
unless they're responding that they want to be out there. And when you are out there, make sure you put that sunscreen on your kids. They burn a lot quicker than you can. But bluegill fishing is the perfect opportunity for kids to catch fish. Bluegills and white bass seem to be the two best ways I know to take a kid fishing. Let's face it, it's all about success. If you're not having success doing something with your bass fishing or brim fishing, you're not going to keep doing it. So if those kids just keep in the action and constantly reeling in fish, that's the way to do it. And the best bait I've actually found for brim fishing is crickets. I've used everything from cut up bacon and hot dogs fishing pond to the kid. To right now, we're actually using a lot of whole kernel corn on a lake we're fishing, but the water's real clear. You can cast that corn to those fish because you're seeing them. But worms are great, but crickets, hands down, seem to get more bites brim fishing than anything. What I'm doing is I'm going along in some clear water, and I'm looking for the honeycomb of brim beds sitting out there. And It's pretty simple. You can use a snoopy rod. You can use a cane pole. I brim fish with bait casting gear. But just make sure it's all about those kids and helping them out to catch those fish. And always leave them wanting for more, right? Absolutely. The other day I took my kid out, and he got mad when we were leaving, and he didn't want to get a life jacket off. So he actually rode home with his life jacket on. <laughs> fell asleep in the car, took him out. He was mad. We got home. He didn't want to take it off there. So he actually slept that night with his life jacket because he did not want to take it off because he wanted to go, go pitching again. Yeah, well, there's no doubt. Next time you bring that up, he's going to be the first one in the car. That's what it's all about. So good stuff there, Clark. Appreciate it. You know, and one quick real tip is Clark's talking about, you know, seeing those honeycombs out there. You just don't launch the tin boat or you don't launch the kayak or the bass boat and just plop on it. I mean, you got to kind of get out there and look for some of these areas that's going to have these locations where these bluegill are so make sure that you go out and do a little bit of homework so that when you get the kids out there it's game time so you're not fluttering through trying to make something happen while they're in the boat because that's often the toughest time to really make that work out so uh, just another quick tip there for our listeners i tell you what it's time for the o'reilly auto parts the professional parts people listener question segment today's 100 gift card winner is devin brown clark devin asks this question how do i manage fluorocarbon on a bait caster is line conditioner needed and do i need backing i love me some fluorocarbon man seagull line i live and die by it you know we have a lot of sponsors out here and that is the number one sponsor that i couldn't live without because you only have control over so many things in the course of a day and your line is the number one thing that you can control i use fluorocarbon for probably 90 percent of my fishing and just a huge seagull fan Here's a couple of tips to manage that line on a bait casting reel. Yeah, the first one I'm going to give you is whenever you're learning how to cast that bait casting reel with that fluorocarbon. It doesn't come off as smooth initially as the monofilament that people are used to growing up fishing with. But if you're learning to cast that fluorocarbon on a bait casting reel, you know, it's going to be a little bit more expensive and you will got backlash. But if you take and make the longest cast you can and feed off about 20 more feet of line for the longest cast you can make and take a piece of electrical tape and put it around your spool and then crank in your line, that's going to help you get more efficient with casting that bait caster with that fluorocarbon on there. The next tip I can tell you is whenever you do start getting backlashes with that line, and when you start pulling it out, it's making weak spots on your line anywhere you kink that line down. So you have to be sure that if you start feeling that line getting kinked in there, that you change that line off. The line conditioner, what that's good for is really in cold water conditions where that line is going to get more memory or your line is going to be sitting on that reel for quite a while and it's going to get that pigtail coil effect on there. And that's what that line conditioner really is going to make the difference on and putting that on there. That's the best tips I can give you as far as using the line conditioner or casting with that. The other one was 
as far as when I spool up line, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use a backer on my line. That's the number one way I use monofilament anymore. The only reason I carry monofilament is if I need a backer on a reel. And I'm going to tie about half the spool on the reel with the backer and then tie directly on with a W-Uni knot, the fluorocarbon, straight to there. So you can actually make spools last twice as long and save you a lot of money in the long run. That is good stuff right there because that question seems to come up quite often with regards to not only fluorocarbon but just the type of line and then also how to manage it. So, Devin, thanks for sending in that question here into Bass Edge, and we appreciate Clark's response. Please send us an email letting us know that you heard your question answered right here on this episode, Devin, and we will send out your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. As always, Bass Edge Nation, please continue to send in those questions for the show via our email address, support at BassEdge.com, or obviously through our Facebook page and Twitter handle at Bass Edge, and always include your name and hometown. Well, Clark, it has truly been a pleasure, and we appreciate your insights on the show today. Great having you on the show. Do you have any thoughts or final closing farewells for our listeners before we close it down? The best thing I can tell people is to do your homework. That's kind of what we've reiterated on this show is it takes a lot of off-the-water time to get ready for these events without even messing with your tackle, but just gaining the knowledge to go out there to catch fish on foreign bodies of water. It just takes time. Don't get frustrated. Don't bite off what you can do. Just break down little sections of the lake, find everything you can in those areas, and you're going to enjoy more times on the water. Great stuff, Clark, man. It was really fun catching up with you. I'm sure that I'm going to keep an eye on you. I know that that big W is going to be coming soon. Bass Edge Radio will return in a moment. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Kurt, another successful episode, and Clark obviously brought it today. A couple things I want to point out. I found extremely interesting and important that I didn't necessarily quite think of, and as much as what I use and kind of tout the use of electronics, when he spoke about keeping the boat straight when you're doing that side scan and how if you maneuver that and get that off of path any one direction, it's going to change what you're actually seeing on the screen. Yeah, no question. And he talks also about how different angles are going to provide you different pictures. You know, running over a road or running over a culvert or brush pile, whatever it is out there, looking at it at different angles is going to give you a clear picture of what you're looking at. Sometimes you're going to be able to decipher it very cleanly, exactly what you're looking at. Other times, maybe not so much. That's why he talks about moving that range back and forth depending on you know, when you do find a little sweet spot or what you think might be a sweet spot to really dial it in, get a great picture of it, and you can tell tremendously that it's really important to get the cleanest picture to go straight, parallel with the cover or the object so you can get the best picture, understand what you're going to be fishing out there. Yeah, and then once you do, you know, his five key baits, and again, make sure if you didn't catch it the first time, big worm, football jig, deep diving crankbait, flutter spoon, and swim baits. Those are Clark's top five picks 
for the summertime fishing. Well, that sounds to me like a no-fail approach. You got your reaction, your slow-moving stuff, and then your lifelike presentation. So uh, he's covering all of his bases right there, but still keeping it really simple. Key to fishing success, I think, keep it simple information that you can use right here on Bass Edge Radio. And thank you for all Bass Edge Nation listeners for tuning in to another episode Bass Edge Radio number 186. Aaron and I look forward to our next show airing on July 1st. Take care. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. <laughs>